This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Most Fridays on the show, I look back on the week of news with a few friends. But this week, I'm going to mix it up. I'm taking some time off from the news. Feels good. I'm going to bring you not one, but two conversations from the last year of the show with two actors who are both up for awards at the 2018 Emmys next month. Later on in this episode, you'll hear my chat with Rachel Brosnahan. She's up for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for her work in Amazon's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But first, my chat with Brian Tyree Henry. You know him from the hit FX show Atlanta. That show is up for Best Comedy Series. And Brian is up for Outstanding Supporting Actor for his work playing Alfred Paperboy Miles, perhaps my favorite character on the show. Paperboy is this up-and-coming rapper who is managed by his cousin, Earn. Earn is played by the show's creator and star, you may have heard of him, Donald Glover. Now, just a warning, when you hear Brian and I talking first, you'll hear the N-word. We did not bleep it. After Brian, I'll come back to introduce Rachel, and we'll be back to our regular schedule next week. All right, enjoy. All right, Atlanta, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that I can recall a better first season of a show. Wow. Y'all got all the acclaim. All the awards. Yeah. I'm, I, I can't even count the number of critics that said, this is the best comedy of the year. Yeah. Did you expect any of that going into the project? I didn't expect to ever work. Like, I didn't okay. expect to ever be, like, on a show, on FX, like, with Donald Glover doing a comedy where I could say nigga on, like, cable. Like, and I all the time. Y'all say like, all the time. It. Like, I didn't expect that it, there would be a show about, like, the, the town that I've always loved. Like, I went to college in Atlanta. Yeah, it's Morehouse, like, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was, like, Atlanta was the best, and still is to me one of the best cities. Like, you know, second to New York. I'm not going to go You crazy. like New York? I love it here. Are you living here mostly now? Yeah, or I'm, li- I'm, okay. I'm a resident of Harlem, man. I oh, live I didn't here. Know that. Yeah, okay. I've been living here for 11 years. I was years. in uh, Tryon Park this morning running. Ah, wait. So you were like close to the hood? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like, this is home. What I love about Paperboy in the show, he's quiet a lot, but you can see that. The wheels are always turning. All the time. And then when he does talk, he says so much with, like, a line. Like, there's this line in the, the premiere of the new season where Donald Glover's character is trying to negotiate this beef. And you call him, and he wants to put you on speakerphone. And you say, as Paperboy, so deadpan, Nigga, take me off speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one line, but it contains multitudes. I mean, I think that's the multitudes. gift of what we do, right? Like, I think that that's... And, you know, I learned a lot of that from um, my family. How you so? know, like, because, you know, you got... you, you Like, being both of us are black men, and, you know, we were raised by black women. Yeah. And, you know, there's the thing of, like, public and private things that oh, you yeah. do. And uh, some of the things that our mothers neglected to tell us is like, when is it okay to do the private things in public? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. And I'll never forget my mother when we would go to movies because I'm the youngest. So At least like, you got to go to the movies. We were so Pentecostal growing up. 
We couldn't go to the movies. We, now, dude. let me tell you something. We didn't go to the movies when they came out. We went to the dollar movie, right? <laughs> to the dollar movie. Yeah. So this shit had already been out for like six months. <laughs> and like, you're going to the dollar movie. And All I, your friends and told you the yo, whole plot. You're already like, well, like, I mean, like the way I learned <laughs> Disney was like book on tape and then like the dollar movie. Uh, so like, we go to the dollar movie. And I remember, like, even at the dollar movie, you had a child discount. Now, mm-hmm. it usually would be like, you had to be like eight and under. Uh-huh. To get the child discount, and my mother was going up there flossing. She was like, "Yeah, you know, um, uh, we've got two adults and like four kids." And uh, <laughs> how old were y'all? Though? I was eleven, and you were the youngest. Old, and I'm the baby, so my <laughs> sisters knew the drill to just shut up. But I was like, "But mom, I'm ten. And I just remember her looking at me oh, like, just abort, look, abort. looking at me, and she was like, "Okay, yep, I guess that's what it is. Now we got it." And when I go in this theater, and she was like, "You know what to do next time, right?" You know. And I was like. I don't even want to see the movie now. Yeah. I was like, yeah. are we that broke that you were so upset <laughs> that you didn't get 50 cents off this? Man, and it was just like, look, like you just know the look. So Paperboy is channeling your mom. Yeah, man, honestly. I love that. Like, honestly, I love like there's that. a, because in a way he's everybody's mom and everybody's father too. You know what I mean? Uh. Like he really is. Like I'm the one that has the connection with Ern's parents, not Ern. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, uh. he, like I'm the one that's there kind of like with your daughter that you haven't like been mm. with and like I have to be everybody's mom and everybody's dad and, and that's wow. the thing about this season I it's, never thought about it yeah, that way like, but you were spot on yeah and I was like and in this season you see it a lot that it's like it's wearing on him a little bit he does in a way carry so much of of, of the emotional weight yeah but that. the thing is it's like he I don't know like Alfred like when I like, and someone said they were like every time we talk about Alfred like you light up there's something about cause I'm very protective of him like he there's something that's why I never refer to him as Paperboy like I'm like that's what y'all get to talk to him I'll talk about him as like but he's Alfred that, like, he's Alfred man I, I, I apologize now for the disrespect no it's all good but Alfred. I mean like it's just what you cause you only are able to call him Al or Alfred unless you're within his circle you know that phrase no squares in my circle so like he's very much <laughs> like he's very much like you, you gotta earn it you Who know. writes Alfred's lyrics? Oh, I, I, I love that song. Play it, Brent. Wait, which song? Paperboy, paperboy. Oh, paperboy. Paperboy, paperboy. Always back that paperboy. If you ain't on your grind, then you flexing, use a hater boy. Did you write that? No, I definitely didn't write that. That All that goes to Donald Glover. I can hear this on the radio now. Yeah, that's the thing. And this season, there's supposed to be a new single. Are y'all going to, like, glee this stuff up and, like, put the songs from the show on the radio? Well, you know what? If you go to FX now, the app, um, you can actually go. Nice plug. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm good at this. All right, guys, I'm You're good a, at this. How do you say a radio Just professional? But... Uh, but if you go to the FX Now app, which I discovered, they will show you each song that's in each episode huh. from season one. Huh. Like, and it's real, really brilliantly done. Like, it will show you the artwork of the album and what, like, it will tell you play by play, episode by episode, what song was And you used. guys were using a bunch of music, like, from the culture right yeah, now. Yeah, man. Like, that's Donald, that's Donald and Steven, So Donald man. was doing the, the yeah. music stuff. Let, let, let's talk about how slick Donald is. Like, the fact sure. that Donald just won an, a, a Grammy for an album that he was doing while we were filming the first season and nobody knew. Like, I was like, dude, when did you Wait, have he was time? doing his latest album while yeah. also doing Atlanta? Yes. If you look in episode nine, in the back, like when he's in the uh, the the study of the white dude for Juneteenth, yeah. you will see the album cover 
of, of uh, Awaken uh, My Love. Love. Yeah, right there. It's sitting right there. And I was like, what? Mind I was blown. like, so that means that this dude was literally, and I was, because I went up and down, I was like, we were together every day. And he was like, making the album behind <laughs> your back. Like, I was like, what weird, like, black hole do you jump into in another universe and create this masterpiece? But that's, he, he was doing it while we were there. Man. How does he get the energy for it? That's He doesn't sleep. I don't think he, I, 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 part of me thinks he's like a cyborg. You know, but I mean, like, he, he, I can do all things through Donald Glover. You know what I mean? Like, there's something, you know. I love it. He's brilliant, man. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. So he wrote the lyrics. Yeah, I think him and his brother both, and that's his brother rapping. That's not me. That's his brother's voice. That's Stephen Glover's voice. Yeah, man. What do you want? So much of the show is this wonderful social critique and satire, and... Y'all are saying some interesting things about the state of things. I'm thinking about the episode where you're dealing with, I'm from the first season, what's it called, Montague? Mont- oh, Jesus Christ, yeah. Where you basically are on a fake talk, talk show, show. Within a fake network. Within a fake network. With fake commercials. Yes. That, yeah. But the big thing, and like the overarching theme is the way in which our society now can police speech. Yeah. And there was like a bigger thing in there. Yeah. Looking at the show that is doing such great social critique and satire what do you want care watchers and viewers to learn from alfred um what is alfred's lesson to us that he's not thinking about you (laughs) (laughs) that he's really not thinking about you because what he has to do is he has to go day by day figuring out exactly where he's going to be especially now that he is paper boy to people so i think that that's where alfred is getting yeah. And it's going, especially this hearing, season. Hearing, hearing you say that Alfred is not worried about y'all. Like, there, there is, in so many ways in the culture right now, it is almost criminal to say that you don't care. Yeah, I know. You know? I know. And, like, it, it is refreshing to see so many parts of the show and of Alfred's character kind of say, I don't care. I'm just not here I'm for I'm just, it, like, uh... I'm trying to do me. Uh, what yeah. I will say about Alfred this season is, you know, he's coming to his own sense of, like, appearance. Like, you hmm. know, he takes pride in the way he looks. He mm-hmm. takes pride in the people he's with. Uh, but I don't think he knows the Dow yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think he still has Google alerts of himself yet. <sighs> like, I don't think he's go- ever going to be the kind of person to uh, do his own publicity of, like, yo, that's me. Yo, that's da-da-da-da. Because as soon as he celebrates himself, as you even if you look back at the first episode of the first season, mm-hmm. he tries to holler at a girl and's like, that's me on the radio. And she's like, so what, and now all of a sudden he's back yeah. again. Yeah. And I feel like those things constantly keep happening with him. And he has to constantly re- not reinvent. Reset. I guess reset. Yeah. yeah. Or reinvent the way he sees himself in a way. Like not not so much reinvent the whole hmm. machine. But like. Because yeah. like the world will constantly keep him in a place of like, nah, son. Like, no. Have you had to reset? Every day. You ain't got to finish it. All right. In what ways? I want to know. Tell me. I mean, it's the thing about humility, you know what I mean? Like, and, 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 like, being completely humble to what's around you. Like, I'm so glad to be. There is nothing greater to me than literally getting up again, being back in New York, even if it's slushy, mushy, or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, well, it literally was everything. Yeah, it was, it was all snow, that. It was snow, it was rain, it was sleep today. It was today. literally, like, all that. I hated it. And going to rehearsal, to hmm. be in this box with for eight hours or six hours, what have you, with three other actors and a director and a writer, it is literally one of the best things of my so life. So you're saying that you're rehearsing a play right now? Yes, right now as we speak. Can you talk about it? Yeah, it's called Lobby Hero, written by Kenneth, Academy Award winning 
Kenneth Lonergan. Uh, it stars uh, this amazing actress who I adore named Belle Powley, who I did a movie with last year with Matthew McConaughey uh, called White Boy Rick. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it stars Michael Sarah, of course, of Superbad Scott Pilgrim fame. He Michael Sarah, cool. he's amazing. <laughs> he's the most amazing Canadian I've ever met. Uh, <laughs> Which is a high bar because Canadians mean, are pretty amazing. I love Canada. I really do. You know, I don't know what it's people's problem jam. is. I was like, I love Canada. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I've got great friends from Canada. So. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Chris Evans. I mean, like, you yeah. know, you know, I don't want to just call him out for Captain America. He does other great movies yeah. like Gifted and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But uh, uh, it's just the four of us. And um, it's all about this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a security guard. Michael's a security guard. And Chris and Bella are police officers. And something like situations happen. Okay. Um, you know, and this was written 17 years ago. And the things that are addressed in this play are still... Really? Happening. So, you know, there's still sexism on the police force. Yeah. There's still, you know, racism when it comes to, like, how the NYPD handles crimes when it comes to race and stuff yeah. like that. And, like, it's all there. It's yeah. all there. And uh, it is literally just four people in in, in this lobby. When is it going to be... Uh, to be consumed by the public. Well, the previews start March 1st, which is which is the same day that Atlanta Robbins season premieres as wow. well. So if you don't want to see me on TV and you want to see me on the stage, you can come to the first preview. I, or you know, just do both, everybody. Or do both. Do you both. You know, like, what am I saying? Like, or do both. <laughs> so you got the play, but you're also from what I've read, you're working on six movies this year? Eight. Look at you. I'll try. You. Trying to catch up to Hans, uh, you know, to Lando Calrissian up in here, man. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to get with Domino, you know? Yeah. Uh, what are yeah. the, can you talk about those? Yeah. Run so, um, coming soon this month, there's going to be a romantic comedy called Irreplaceable You coming out, starring Gugu and Bathara and uh, Mikhail Hussman and Christopher Walken. And um, it's going on Netflix February the 16th. I love how you just drop and Christopher Walken. Yeah, well, I mean, like, because he's a staple in New York. Like, you don't really have to, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's Christopher Walken. Yeah. Like, how, you know. yeah so that's uh, one. That's one. Uh, then I did a movie with Viola Davis and really? and uh, uh, directed by Steve McQueen. It's got Colin Farrell as well and uh, Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out. Uh, yeah. Academy Award nominee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel, yeah. who's one of my great friends. I'm so proud of Look him. Look you friends with everybody. I mean, you got to be friends. Friends, you no know, squares in my circle. So, uh, <laughs> so that's that. Widows. That comes out in the fall. Okay. Uh, I also did a movie with Taylor Schilling called Family, hmm. which should be coming to South by Southwest soon. Okay. Then I'm doing White Boy Rick with Matthew McConaughey, yeah. you know, Jennifer Jason Leigh, uh, and Belle Powley, who's in the play. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, something else. Oh, uh, Hotel Artemis, which I did with my best friend Sterling K. Brown. I wanted to get uh, into that for you. Two-time Emmy time, yeah. winner. Yeah. Uh, you know, and who Golden you, Globe who, winner. And y'all, like, called each other the day when y'all both got nominated, right? Uh, yeah, we did. We, we did. We, like, I mean, he's my best friend. Like, I love him. I love like, that. And then, you know, I was on his show and got an Emmy nomination because I yeah. decided to swagger jacket. And you sang. I did sing. Yeah, I did. An original song. Yeah. yeah. Standing at the station. Oh, it's queued oh. up. <laughs> I'm just continually, the more you talk about these things you're in and looking at this work on This Is Us compared to Atlanta, you are such a versatile actor. Thank you, man. Like, not a lot of people can do all of these different things. Is there one lesson or truth you've come to find out when it comes to being able to be that versatile of an actor? Like, what is the secret? The only thing that has helped me, man, is, like, literally taking in the life that's going on around you and having the time of your damn life. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's... 
It's been a pleasure, you know. Like I was reading this quote from Shonda Rhimes, where she's like, "I'm not lucky, just say I'm a badass." You know, what I mean, like she has this quote about like huh. not being lucky. How she huh. works really hard. And yeah, da 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 Because people will always constantly tell me all the time, "Well, you're lucky, you. You're lucky." Like, that's what do you like, say when they tell you that? Uh, I don't say. I act. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not a person of words. I'd rather show you rather than tell you because, like, no matter how often that I'm always underestimated or overlooked, I can hear you, and I'm like, that's. That's great that you can tell me that, but I'm not thinking about you. So what I'm going to go do is I'm going to go over here and do this. So therefore, you can sit down and watch this and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, he wasn't thinking about me. So, you know, um, I don't know, man. Like, I just love what I do. And I love and I love it because of the people that I'm around Mm -hmm. and the 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 art that's being made and the things that are being said. I mean, like, if I just sit back and just wait a second, like, I really believe that the universe will put me where I'm supposed to be. I'm not a religious person. I'm very, you know, spiritual and, you know, I've been through all kind of gamuts of whatever that is. But it's just, to me, it's just, it's something like I do work hard. I work very, very hard. Uh, Just not in the ways that people may expect. This is, listen, we are, my, like, mantra every day is, like, yeah. the universe provides. Yeah. And if you and sometimes you got to just, like, sit there long enough to see what it's saying. Or then you dig your heels in and get yourself to action and figure yes. that out, too, you know? Yeah, but and, 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 like, and, like, but, like, there's this idea, I think, that, like, being able to just kind of work hard, be ready, be prepared, but be open to, like, where, where life takes you. And, look, and be honest because, like, yeah. let me tell you something. Like, nothing in the world told me that I would be doing this show called Atlanta that would then be this huge thing that it became and that my mother would leave me on the day that we wrapped. Like, nothing said that that would happen. Like, and, nothing yeah. said. And the backstory for those hearing this, your mother died the day. The day that we wrapped Atlanta in a very bad freak oh, car accident. Oh. You know what I mean? And so, for me, it was like, okay, well... You banked on her being here. You know what I mean? You uh. banked on the fact that like, I was going to take her on a road trip. Like, oh, yeah, on a road trip. Man, I was going to take her everywhere. I was like, oh, you've never heard of Martha's Vineyard? Let's go. Huh. Oh, you've never been to, like, the Cloisters? Let's go. Or yeah. you've never been to the Hamptons? Let's go. You know, like, yeah. let me just let, at least show you that, you know, your son is, I'm ready to get you. I think I was, like, going to take her, like, on a, on a white man finding cruise. I was like, you ain't never slept with a white dude? Like, let's get you a white dude, mom. Like, let's go. I'm not yeah. joking. Like, that was what I wanted. And, um... You know, like, I just remember we were at the rap party, and I was having the time of my life, and I remember doing a torrential downpour, and I was just happy, because yeah. there's some people who are like, you feel it when it happens, or you yeah. didn't feel anything. Really? All I felt was that I was happy, I had talked to her before I went to this party, mm-hmm. I had done da 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 and then the next morning, like, just like that, she's gone, so it's like... You don't really know. That was the one thing in the, my 34 years that I hadn't accounted for was that I would have to go through this without my mom. Yeah. And so it's like now I have no choice in this world but to completely do all the things that she saw in me yeah. beyond. Like, I am not thinking about y'all. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm really You're not thinking about th- her. I'm thinking about what I have to do yeah. for her for me. And if these are the gifts that are put inside of me that she wants me to go out there and do, then I'm going to do them, damn it. But I don't have to share that with everybody yeah. about that process. And, yeah. and I think that all of us need to figure that out about ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think all of us need to understand that it's okay to keep some to yourself like you don't have to share ain't nobody asking you to make no Barnes and Noble bestseller because you want to give everybody life advice like no just, just do it's you. really okay yeah. to keep some to yourself and, and, and move through that because yeah. at the end of the day we all are individuals and we are all nothing but stories anyway so mm. what's your story yeah you know I think your mother would like Atlanta I'm sure she would she pops up in it quite a bit she pops what up in it quite a bit. You, you'll, like you'll see, huh? 
Because you know that Alfred doesn't have his mother. And, and, yeah. You know, so I was like, well, that's interesting. My mother was alive before that happened. Like, mm. I remember saying that line. I was like, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he doesn't have his mom. Huh. And then all of a sudden, you know. Wow. And I was like, oh, boy. Well, now what is that? Huh. So that's why I'm very close to Alfred and very protective of Alfred because, like, we are kind of like one of the same cloth. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And I'm not one of those actors. You know, I'm no Daniel Day-Lewis, but, you know, I'm not a big. <laughs> Daniel, get at us. Yeah, I'm not a big male. This is his last movie. He ain't doing nothing after this. Allegedly. Star. He's going to retire yeah, like, like Jay-Z did. Right, right, Remember Jay-Z right. retired like three times? Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I just uh, try to be open to what life is going to show that. me, man. And, and like, open. you just never know what's going to go. But, you know. The universe provides. The universe will provide. Okay, time for a quick break. When we come back, Brian talks about his friendship with actor Sterling K. Brown from a little show called This Is Us. And later I talk to Brian's fellow Emmy nominee, Rachel Brosnahan. All right, BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dreams. Remember The X-Files, the show with the never-ending supply of paranormal problems and shoulder pads? Now you can watch it for free. Dreams is broadcasting the original series on Thursdays, starting from the beginning. Dreams is a new TV channel for your phone. It's free with no login. Download the free Dreams app for iPhone or Android and tune in on Thursdays. Support also comes from Fracture. Fracture turns your favorite digital memories into meaningful photo decor by printing them directly on glass. They come ready to display out of the box, including the wall hanger or optional stand. Fracture prints are handmade in Gainesville, Florida. Give a unique gift or focus on the moments that tell your story. It's been a minute listeners can save 15% on their first order by visiting FractureMe.com minute. This is Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. The Emmys are approaching, so this week we're doing a special series of Emmy nominees and people from nominated shows like Atlanta, Saturday Night Live, Last Week Tonight, and Insecure. So check out this week's Emmy series on Fresh Air. Before we go, can we talk a bit more about your good friend Sterling K. Brown? Yeah! And yeah, That dude. Yeah, go ahead. That dude, he seems awesome. He's one of the most amazing people. Like, I honestly don't think I would be as um, able to talk about what mm. I'm talking about when it comes mm. to my enjoyment and excitement of acting and mm. performing if it went for him, you know? Like, Why is that? Because we're both geeks when it comes to that, you know what I mean? Like, we met at Sundance years ago. There was a Sundance Theater Lab where I met, um, excuse me, a lot of great people. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, Terrell Albert McCraney, who wrote Moonlight, I mean, like, you know, we went to... Y- y'all were in some plays at Well, wrote, yeah, right? we we did. Uh, you know, I went to Yale with Terrell, and, like, oh. you know, I got my first start on theater here doing a play that he wrote called The Brother Size at The Public, and mm-hmm. and then he did the trilogy of those said mm-hmm. plays, and uh, Sterling was in them. Yeah. And the thing that, you know, me and Sterling, like, just in, when I talk about that brother kind of thing, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah, that yeah. fraternal kind of thing, excuse me, it was immediate. So look like, at you know how to hit the cough yeah, button. Yeah, I know the cough he button. He knows how to hit the cough button. <laughs> hey. He's getting applause from the engineering hey. booth. <laughs> I'm, I'm about this life. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so like, 
there was nothing greater than to get up every day and go to this theater and do this 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 work and this art with this this person. Yeah. Because like the excitement of watching him talk about like movies that he's watched mm-hmm. or actors that he reveres mm-hmm. or things like that. Like mm-hmm. we had the same kind of thing and here that you know and uh but like the theater the world in itself just kept making it impossible for us to act with each other. Like huh. we would be acting adjacent. Really? You know what I mean? Like, there was never any time that we had scenes that we were, like, together. Like, we would be adjacent from be- uh-huh. <laughs> each other. Uh, but I just always admired him. Like, I, like to, to know that you had the love of this person that, like, you know, wants to see you shine. Like, you winning is him winning. And stuff, yeah. you know, and I learned from him, you know, because he is my elder. He's older than me. I don't know if you guys knew that, but he's How older. Old he? Nah, he's older. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> but I read uh, somewhere that you guys bonded because he helped you shave. Oh, I read all the things this, this before I, okay, so I, I prepared. Okay, so at Sundance, I had to play a drag queen, and like he was like the house father because you know, like in the drag and especially in the black uh, uh, drag ballroom scene, like there's families and houses. Yeah. So like he was the father. What of would that your house, house be called? My house. If you had to make a house, um, gooey butter cake, I think. <laughs> Because I'm really obsessed with gooey butter cake, and I was like, "That's a great name for it." I was like, I no. my house I, and "Plus, I think Balenciaga and like all that other stuff is taken." But I was like, "Mine would be really abstract." It I'd be, be like, like "House of I'm tired." He's uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> just House of I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah, yeah. Like, Ooh, I'm tired. I'm tired. Anyways, I took but, it off the topic. Yeah, anyway, like I had not shaved my face in a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I'd ever shaved my face because mm-hmm. I was like keeping my facial hair in form of protest. How for long some was reason. it? It was. That's the thing. It never grows. Like I called my facial hair taco meat. It kind my, of, call my chest hair taco meat. Like I'm taco telling you meat. everything yeah, today. Like, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, it's like taco meat. And so I was like, well, I can't possibly play this drag queen with all this on my face. But I didn't bring any clippers because we were in Park City, Utah. And you weren't going to find a black barbershop at in Park all. City, Utah. Like, I was like, man, I'll shave your face, but I got you, man. I was like, that's love. Like that's for another love. man to do that for another dude, like that's love. And then he like made sure I kept this little triangle underneath my oh, lip. Oh, you kept your soul patch. Well, we call it soul patch. But he told me that his grandmother told him that it's called the flavor saver. <laughs> Why is it called the flavor? You think about it. Oh, because the food say no. That could it could also be uh, for something mm-hmm. else. <laughs> and that's when I was like, oh, we're friends now. <laughs> like, and the rest is and history. the rest is history. And he's the guy you're calling the day you both get Emmy nominations. Man, I mean, like, that's a beautiful I, thing. I and. I don't know, man. He is truly an inspiration. I'm also the godfather to his uh, firstborn son. Really? Andrew, which I still am in shock about. Like, And I love this wow. th- this little man so much. And, uh, How old is, is he? Oh, my God. Andrew's got to be almost seven now. Oh, wow. So, like, but uh, he's just growing so fast. My so. godson is eight. So you are a godfather. I'm a godfather. So you know the feeling of being a godfather. It is so great because a, like you just get to you get to be there and inspire the good stuff. Which is not what I do. I try to make sure that he undermines his parents all the time oh, see, when okay. I'm not there. So I'm like, yeah, oh, they told you that. Well, you should do this. My new thing is now when I bring him gifts, I try to bring him gifts and his sister gifts that will be like the most annoying to oh, yeah. the parents. That's what godparents are supposed to do. Yeah. 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 Love you, Aaron and Moose. Yeah, oh These my are his God. parents. Andrew, you're my favorite. So are you, Amari. I love you as well, man. Uh, this is crazy. So, I mean, uh, you got to go. I would talk. I, we, we hey, would, man. This, look. this is. Hey, I'm I in really, New York. I'm here. I'm literally here. You're literally for here. Months, so. Yeah. I'm actually, it's a funny story. I'm here all week. I'm based in D.C. I'm moving wait, back wait, to wait, L.A. Wait, wait, You didn't say anything about that. As I sat here and talked to you about D.C., you didn't say anything about D.C. You're oh, based, yeah. Where in D.C. are you at? I live in Noma, which wasn't a neighborhood five I years ago. I know it definitely wasn't. That's north of Massachusetts, right? How do you? 
Because yeah, I was, I grew up in D.C. for a Wait, big part where of my did life. You grow I grew up in Northeast, Southeast D.C., Alabama Ave, Minnesota Ave. I yeah. went to Benning Elementary. My mother oh, taught my at like Davis Elementary. Off really? Alabama. And my sisters are still there. They're like. It's the DMV. It's the DMV. So, yeah. Do you go back still? Yes. I try it's to go so back. different now. First of all, U Street. I was First like, of all, H Street. Yeah. I was like, wait, there's a Bonobos? Oh, yeah. Oh, we've got a oh, Warby yeah. Parker? Now, and now Ivy City's happening, yeah. and I'm like, no one used to Anacostia be there. Park used to be where you go on roller skate and you get your ass out before 8 p.m., yeah. and now they're building condos. Oh, dude. Have you been to the wharf yet? Yeah, my family works at the wharf. Yeah, really? my brother-in-law works at the wharf. I yeah. would have. I first got to DC in '09. I would have never imagined a thing like that. Yeah, there. And here's the thing that 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 art installation they have of the man coming out of the sand. Yeah, have you seen that? Uh-huh. So I grew up being terrified of that thing because it used <laughs> to be on in the mall, like where the like monument was and everything. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mother was like, "That's Jesus." You see, that's Jesus and I would scream. Your like, mom sounds so like my mom. It was terrifying. <laughs> and so now they moved that art installation to the wharf. And yeah. I was like, and I went down there. I was like, I'm not going down those stairs to see that. I don't need to see it. Yeah. And like my friends are sitting on it. And everything. I was like, <laughs> holes, man. Yeah. Like, but yeah, yeah. I, that, that's home, man. Yeah. Yeah. I lived in DC first from 09 to 2012. Then I was wow. in LA at our West Coast Ops for a while. Wow. Then I came back to DC because I covered the election. Uh, but at the end of this month, I'm moving back to LA. Oh, uh, damn. I miss LA. So will you ever come back to D.C.? Of course. Okay. I mean, because our headquarters are in D.C. And plus, yeah. that's the only place you can get chicken wings and mambo sauce, homie. Like, that's the best, like... Yeah, but you, you know what me, I miss, you though? Why are you looking at me like you're crazy? I, like, being in California, it turned me into, like, a California foodie. And so I'm like, sushi. this farm to table. Sushi, there's all this farm to table. But if the you, avocados if are better. you just talked about Ivy City, you don't think D.C. is about to become just like that? Chesapeake Bay's right there. True. Don't do this to me. Don't do this to us. What uh, we just created. Listen, Why this friendship this? will last the ages. <laughs> I am gonna. I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be in your circle, and I'm not gonna be a square. No, I don't promise. be a square. You probably be the only square peg that could be in the circle. We just gotta make the circle bigger. That's right. I I really enjoyed this. I am so excited for this renaissance in black prestige yeah, man, film and go. TV. Let's do it. I'm so happy to see your part in that whole landscape. No, thank you. Thank dude. you. It was. A, Absolute delight, man, to meet you. Many, many thanks again to Brian Tyree Henry. He is up for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy at next month's 2018 Emmy Awards. Those are on September 17th. Also up for an Emmy for Outstanding Actress in a Comedy, my next guest, Rachel Brosnahan. She is the star of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel from Amazon. On the show, she plays Midge Maisel, this uh, 1950s housewife from New York City. She kind of stumbles into a career in stand-up comedy. The show is the brainchild of Amy Sherman Palladino. She is the creator of Gilmore Girls. Rachel and I talked late last year, uh, just before she won a Golden Globe Award for her work on the show. I kind of think our chat was something of a good luck charm. All right, here's me talking with Rachel Brosnahan, star of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. This show, for those listening that have not uh, watched the show yet, how will we describe this show for listeners without giving all the stuff away? Right. So this is a show about a young mother and housewife in the 1950s. Um, she lives in New York on the Upper West Side. She has a perfect life. She'll be the f- very first person to tell you it's by her own design. And <laughs> one day, her perfect husband up and leaves her for his awful secretary and through a series of both fortunate and unfortunate events she ends up 
pursuing a new career in stand-up comedy. Yeah. And, like, this comes about her pursuing stand-up after her husband who leaves her has tried to make it himself. And he's not that funny. And he's also stealing jokes. Yes, (laughs) Like, he literally is the worst. Um, (laughs) Fully the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I want to play a clip of the show uh, where you are doing that stand-up routine in your, like, night clothes, drunk and out of it, and it's the first time everyone realizes that, like, damn, you have the range. You have the gift. I was a great wife. I was fun. I planned theme nights. I dressed in costumes. I gave him kids, a boy and a girl. And yes, our little girl is looking more and more like Winston Churchill every day, you know, with a big Yalta head, but that's not a reason to leave, right? I loved him, and I showed him I loved him all that they say about Jewish girls in the bedroom not true there are French whores standing around the Marais district saying did you hear what Mitch did to Joe's isn't there is so much in there like what I love about it like you're not just delivering the lines perfectly you are doing the best physical presentation that the best stand-up comics do because like so much of comedy I feel like is performing with your body as well as like your voice how hard was it for you to become that like you aren't a trained stand-up comic uh this is unlike roles you've done before yes how what was the prep like well, thankfully, we had a lot of prep before we shot the pilot, more than gotcha. more than you normally get. I think we we had a couple weeks, and and so Amy and Dan and I sat down a lot. And, we should say who they are. Uh, yes, the, the creators, writers, directors. They wear twelve thousand hats uh, <laughs> of our show, and they're and, a married couple, right? Yes, they are. And we had a lot of time to sit down, and and I asked them twelve gazillion questions, and and they would give me twelve gazillion and a half answers, and then uh, and so by the time we performed that first one in the first episode I, I was ready to put it out there you know we'd been working on it for such a long time it it felt it felt ready um but also I think Midge isn't really doing stand-up at all mm. until much much later in the season yeah. this is a woman who's who's fully having a breakdown her entire life has crumbled and everything she thought she knew is a lie and that is is just a person. Uh, yeah. It's not. It's not yet a stand-up, and coupled with Amy's brilliant and hilarious writing, that—that's what you get. Um, yeah. I feel like I had a way in as an actor and a and a person who comes from a more dramatic background, uh, and and I was fortunate enough to be able to take this parallel journey with Midge. Yeah, I got to learn the more technical sides of comedy together, and it was fun and petrifying and <laughs> and exhilarating all at the same time. And I mean, so like you mentioned, the writing that they're doing on this show, it is a lot of fast monologuing and just like a lot of dialogue, period. And you've spoken about how much dialogue you all have in this show. Um, How hard was doing that? So, so hard. There's (laughs) there's never enough time to prep. There's never enough time. There's never enough coffee. Uh, it, It truly involved actual mouth warm-ups pre every one of those speeches. I saw that. You said that you do like Shakespearean mouth warm-ups. Do one for me. Well, it's not, Shakespearean is a little bit of an overstatement. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like all that, all that weird stuff that that is gonna sound even weirder over the radio than it would look in person, and it looks pretty. Weird I like person. weird. But you know, you go ba 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 baby bye bye bo boo ka 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 kai koku da 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 do do fa 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 fu. You know that. I can't do that. Wait, let me try it. Yeah, go. Okay, tell me again. 
So it's the letters of the alphabet. Oh, B C D. B C D. Baba ba baby be bye bo boo. Baba da bibbidi babbidi boo. No, I can't. Hello, Mary Poppins. That's hard. It's hard, but it helps. Yeah. If you practice every day, you're, you're going to okay. be even better than you already are at this job. I'm going to I do promise. it. I'm going to practice. I can't I'm wait. Wait, try one more time just for me because it's fun. Bibbidi bobbidi. Wait, not bibbidi. Bubba baby. Bubba baby. Bubba baby. Bubba baby. Bubba baby. Bubba baby. Yeah. Okay. Da 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 See, you can be it too. That's you can right. Be a stand up too. <laughs> a, a TV stand up. It's not the yeah. same thing. <laughs> I was reading that when you auditioned for the show, you had to basically deliver, like, deliver the stand up comedy monologue in front of an empty room, which is hard enough. Uh, but on top of that, you were like almost deathly ill during the audition. Like, how yeah, sick I think, were you? I think Maybe me making some bad jokes has gotten slightly exaggerated through the course okay. of all this press. I was not knocking on death's door, but I felt terrible. Okay. Was it like the flu or what? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I've been calling it the plague because that's what it felt like. <laughs> nice. you, you know how normally you have a flu or something and three or four days in, you, you begin to see the light. Mm-hmm. You know, 10 days later, I still could not get out of bed. Oh, that's not good. I mean, so, so sick. I was just a sweaty, gross, snotty mess. And and I actually had to cancel my first uh, appointment because I was so sick and reschedule. But I was so scared that that they were going to just move on. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, like, I don't come from comedy. So nobody had any reason really to believe that Mm -hmm. I could do this without seeing me do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I rallied way too soon. And, and, oh, man, you know, like... (laughs) I, I had to take my shoes off at some point during this audition Why? because my feet were so sweaty. Ooh. I couldn't walk in them. <laughs> Ooh, it was gross. <laughs> it was so, I've never been grosser. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and if I recall correctly, uh, the show's creators said that they couldn't tell. That, that's, they're being very kind. <laughs> I mean, Amy did once or twice have to stop me to tell me to powder my face. There was a okay. lot of sweating happening. But some part of it was convincing. And, you know, not all that dissimilar from, from, from some that, of Midge's Yeah, from stuff. other scenes. Because, yeah. like, when she's on stage sometimes, it is like a little kind of breakdown-y. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, the show is set in 1958, if I recall correctly. And yes. y'all get the period piece nature of this down to... Gosh, a science. The wardrobes are on point. Um, like the, those Upper West Side apartments, like had me shook. I was like, I want to live there. I want me to too. live to there. Like it's so beautiful. Like one, did you get to keep the wardrobe? And <laughs> two, like how? What was the level of specificity and detail about making sure this thing totally looked and felt in 1958? Oh man. Well, I'm sure that I was insulated from a lot of it, but uh, but I but I know that we we had all the different departments working together to make sure that this both felt exactly true to 1958. And there's also a certain level of fantasy to this show. There's a little bit hmm. more color. Hmm. There's a musicality to to our world that is slightly heightened. Huh. Um, but, man, those those apartments are incredible. We actually so shot... Nice. In a in two real apartments for the pilot okay. on 113th and Riverside, yeah, and they replicated them exactly wow. on our stage for the rest of the show. Wow! 
Um, yeah, it, the, the costumes are extraordinary. I, I haven't gotten to keep any of them yet. I they want... need to let you keep the costumes. Well, we have a season two. Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> we, and we knew that before we finished the first, so. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, she's going to be repeating so some outfits, I think. Okay. Um, but one day I'm stealing every single one of those coats. As you should. All right, time for one more break. When we come back, what the marvelous Mrs. Maisel gets right about female friendships. BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teledochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C health slash what's your why. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, one of your new hosts for On Point. We take on the news with the smartest guests and live calls from every corner of the country. NPR's David Folkenflik hosts the Friday Week in the News. Join David and me for On Point. When did you realize that you wanted to be an actress? Or did you? Did you fall into it? Did you say, like Midge would have when you were like six, I'm doing this? Like, how did it happen? I kind of did. That's okay. something that Midge and I share in common. When okay. we, we can't not do anything 125%. Yeah. We're also both a little type A. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, without necessarily being able to say I wanted to do it all the time, I always mm-hmm. wanted to do it. I was very creative. I... And yeah. I loved reading because I loved imagining worlds that were different from or bigger than mine. I really loved fantasy, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Um, and somehow that translated into wanting to act. I liked doing school plays. And then I think, you know, I, I could just like kids say, I want to be a princess or I want to be a vet <laughs> or a doctor. I kind of went, I'm going to be an actress. But it wasn't until... I was in high school and people were deciding what they wanted to study in college. <laughs> yeah. And I realized that I had no other interests or qualifying skills that I wanted to be an actor. And you went to Tisch? I did. Yeah. At NYU, which sounds yes. like it must be like the set of fame. Like is everyone <laughs> just running around singing and dancing and flash mobbing? I, no, well, maybe some of the studios. My, Just say I, yes. Please tell me, me that it's like that because yes, I want to believe that. It's exactly like that. <laughs> wow, how did you know? <laughs> um, I mean, I studied at Strasbourg, which I don't know how much you know about Strasbourg, but we we were known for crying. Okay, um, what is Strasbourg? For those who don't know, <laughs> you just you cry all the time. Um, no, it's it's a uh, it's one of the studios that, okay. that NYU. So there's NYU is the giant umbrella. Tisch is the larger arts umbrella, then there's the mm-hmm. drama program, and within the drama program, there are a bunch of studios, and, uh-huh. and drama students get split up into the studios, and you get assigned to a studio based on your audition, and uh, I got assigned to the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. They assigned they, you to the crying theater. 
They did. I don't know what that <laughs> says about me, but they they turn you inside out. They look at all your guts, and then they, they try to piece you back together again, <laughs> or they leave you on your own to piece yourself back together again. <laughs> but uh, but I learned I learned a ton. I really did, and I yeah. I loved. I loved my time there. So coming out of the crying studio at NYU, did you mm-hmm. expect to be in this show that is really, really funny? N- no. Okay. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. I don't were think anybody really do expected this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So were you scared to do it? Like, was this a big departure from your previous work? Yes. Absolutely petrified. Mm. Every single minute. I'm, I'm still petrified. <laughs> really? Because uh, you look yes. flawless in the show. You look like you are just made of steel. Then I'm a brilliant actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have never been so scared. Uh, but but that, that's... Maybe that's not what everybody wants, but that, that's what I want. I want... I've always wanted to do things. You hear actors say this all the time: to do things that scare me, to do things I've never done before, to stretch my muscles and and uh, and see if I can. I guess. And yeah. I I loved this part, and I felt like I had a way in. As I said, she she doesn't start a comedian. She is a she is a woman who is funnier than Rachel. Yeah. Me, thanks to Amy's brilliant writing, <laughs> but. Um, but she's a person, and she's a beautifully complex, fully realized woman, and yeah. and so I, I was hoping I could find her. <laughs> you did, and I mean to be fair, you aren't. It's not all laughs. Like there is this one scene uh, where your character Midge kind of has this breakdown in front mm-hmm. of Susie, who is her quote personal manager slash agent. Yes. Susie's being tough on Midge and uh, Midge has had it. Just drop this doe-eyed Bambi thing right now. I'm so sick of you acting all innocent. Oh, I don't know how the world works because I'm a housewife and I wear four layers of petticoats. It is tired and it is weak and you are not tired and you are not weak. And if you want to be a comic, you are going to have to grow the up right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what to do lately. I'm I'm trying to be strong and independent, but I saw Joel the other night and he was with her and every time I think I can breathe again, I can't. And I'm I'm trying to get it right. I'm trying to figure it out. I I know the parties aren't gigs. I know I'm not really doing stand up. I don't want to be a second rate Nichols in May. I I'd never even heard of Nichols in May and I've got news for you. If you're going to be a personal manager, then sometimes you're going to have to deal with the personal and this is personal. All of this. And it's not I love how you deliver that line. And, and this is personal. All of this. I'm like, that's my motto for life. It's all personal. <laughs> Especially when there's tears streaming down your face. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sometimes you're going to have to buy some Kleenex and let me cry and pat me on the back and say they're there. Okay, that sort of felt like a, a sigh of relief in a way for mm-hmm. me. There aren't very many moments like that in the show. There really aren't any. That, that's the, the only time Midge really breaks down. Yeah. Including when her husband walks out, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I love that scene. That was a rare moment on our show where Alex Borstein, who plays Susie, and I Mm -hmm. got to just be and just chuck stuff at each other in a room. Not literally, but, you know. (laughs) And Alex Borstein, I mean, like, so I, one, the show starts, and I was like, oh, my God, I used to love her on Mad TV way back in the day. And this is a totally, a big departure from that show for her. But what I like about the show is that the 
the love story at the heart of at least season one is between your character and her character. And it is yeah. it, it is this story of this friendship between two women and this partnership between two women. And it deals with it in a way that really speaks to the ups and downs of friendship and friendship yes. between women. And I really admire that. Like, you guys will cry and yell and scream and then hang out and work together. And, like, mm-hmm. there are these highs and lows. And your show is doing that. Shows like Insecure with Issa Rae have women friendships that are showing all of that. I was going to say, and, that's my favorite part about Insecure. That's mm. actually the part that spoke to me the most is the friendship between those two women. And it was watching that show that made me realize how rare that is on TV. Uh. Yeah. To see a female friendship that is as complicated as they are. Yes. We're complicated beings and it's a beautiful thing. Uh and I and it and that nuance I think is something that only female creators at least at this point in time can really grasp in in yeah. all of its yeah. all of its all of it. <laughs> yeah. And like I realized watching that scene and then hearing it back now the beauty of displaying these multifaceted friendships between women is that you can access the full range of human emotion in a way that is not tied to someone's sexuality. Yes. And I think that's refreshing. Well, and, and I love that it's a budding friendship, too. The, yeah. These are women who, under ordinary circumstances, may never have met, mm-hmm. let alone become friends. And mm-hmm. not only do they come fr- become friends, but they they need each other. They need each other to survive. Um, they yeah. complete each other. Uh, Alex Borstein has coined the term "womance." <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> it's exactly right. That, that's everything. That's it. it you know, in a, in a show with two bros becoming friends in a in a significant way, you call it a bromance. And this yeah. is this is a fully a realized womance. I love that. I do too. <laughs> That's, and so speaking of this romance, like part of why it works so well is because you had someone like Amy Sherman Palladino making this show. People might know her from making the show Gilmore Girls. Why is that you think? I mean, like she has this really great way of writing, which you see in this show. It's really fast conversations, a lot of pop mm-hmm. culture references. Like, What makes her shows her shows and, 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 and makes you fit so well in this one? Well, everything you said, I mean, it is it's she's got a distinct fingerprint and if you if you look closely you can always tell her shows are her shows but i think i think what you know this show feels so new our show feels so new i don't know where it belongs in the cultural zeitgeist you know mm-hmm. but i think a show like gilmore girls and i think this is present in our show too they're just hopeful mm. at the end of the day yeah uh, that is which true is funny because amy is a self proclaimed pessimist but really <laughs> yes yes but but she understands something about it because they they're real people who are who are dealing with real stuff in ways that are not always beautiful but you walk away feeling like everything's going to be okay and and especially right now that the world is on fire you know, I, we need we need we need to laugh a little. We need a little we need a little bit of hope, a little bit of joy. And I think, without getting too cheese, that's something that that these shows have in common, which is why they seem to speak to so many people, like you said, who who you wouldn't expect necessarily to enjoy them. Yeah, 
the show itself is a comedy, but yeah. there are some moments that really are dramatic for me, and I'm thinking of one in particular. Mm-hmm. There is this scene that your character Midge does and her character's mother does. Y'all, y'all both are going to bed with your husbands. Midge waits for her husband to fall asleep and then goes to the bathroom and takes off all of her makeup, mm-hmm. puts in her curlers, puts on her face mask, then goes to bed. But before she goes to bed after her husband's sleeping, she opens the curtains just enough so that the sunlight will hit her face first in the morning so she can get back up before he wakes up and have her full makeup on in bed so he never sees her unmakeuped. Yes, sir. Image's mom does the same thing, and it just stopped me in my tracks. And I said, wow, men walk through the world never even really being aware of, like, how much more stuff women have to deal with. Totally. And we're seeing that right now in a big way. Yeah. And, like, it was true in 1958 where this show was set. And it's really kind of still true today. Like, how does it feel to make a show that is about a different decade but feels very timely in regards to the way that our culture and our society treats women who are trying to be taken seriously. Yeah, it it feels important. It it feels especially important right now. It felt important while we were making it, but it's taken on a whole new meaning. Um, This is ultimately one show about one woman. But one of the coolest things about this show is that it's created, written, directed, produced, edited, like I said, 12 gazillion hats by this extraordinary woman, Amy Sherman Palladino, Mm -hmm. and her husband, Dan Palladino, who's an extraordinary man who loves extraordinary women about an extraordinary woman at a time when it wasn't okay for women to be extraordinary. And we have women in front of, behind the camera, and and we're always looking for more. Um, uh, it, It feels cool. It feels... Like, it shouldn't be so radical anymore to be telling a story about a woman who is amazing, um, who who is like women that I know and love, but somehow haven't really seen on TV before. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and I also appreciate about this particular story that it's a slightly slightly different look at a woman reinventing herself in a period piece. This is a woman who arguably isn't a feminist when you meet her. And she's huh. the first person to tell you that. I think if you asked Midge if she was a feminist, she'd go, no, I don't burn my bras. <laughs> you know, um, and yeah. she, she believes that women have a place. And, and all this stuff that we're talking about, that scene you reference where she gets up in the middle of the night and puts her makeup on, to us, a modern audience, that, that feels like a burden. Yeah. But to her, it's something that makes her feel good. Mm. It's something she genuinely enjoys. And and this isn't a woman who came out of the womb feeling like she didn't belong and wanted to change things and push against the walls and expectations that were set up for her. This is a woman who thrived in this environment. Mm. And to me, it's exciting to see a different kind of story about a woman that arguably is a feminist story, but who discovers that the world is not as narrow as she thought it was and that maybe some of the things she thought were true she has questions about and and uh and is noticing things that she never noticed before um noticing Mm. a double standard between men and women and the way that women are treated and i'm really proud to be a part of this yeah it's so funny you say that the character is noticing things that were not noticed before and i immediately thought of 
this Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. And so many people, men and women, are noticing things that were always happening but just never talked about. And right. I think being almost aghast at how widespread this stuff is. Yeah. You know, like, besides just having this show speak to this moment, at least for me, what do you think your character in the show would make of this moment right now, of of the Me Too movement? It's interesting. Midge says something in one, one of the sort of mid-later episodes that has always just... like gotten me in the gut because it it's Mm. hard for me to hear and to say as this character that I love something like this but Susie tells her that um that she's been learning things about the apartment building because she's been riding the elevator up and down and listening to people fighting and things and she says I think so-and-so grabbed so-and-so's ass and now Susie is her her almost manager quasi-manager Yes, becoming okay. her manager. And so she says, oh, um, I think so-and-so pinched so-and-so's ass. And Midge goes, well, I hope she did nothing to deserve that. Mm. I remember that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Midge, I think, is somebody who has a lot of learning to do in that department. And that is frustrating to me. I think it should be frustrating, but it represents a point of view that still exists. Mm-hmm. And I hope that throughout the course of our show, her perspective... And I, I assume because she will be faced with it personally. Um, her perspective will be forced to change. Her eyes will be opened more. But yeah. progress isn't linear sometimes. That's it, so true. Almost never linear. Yeah. So I hope that for the women out there who are more like Midge, who mm. maybe share some of those more, I, I hate to use the word conservative, but I suppose that's still what that is or more it's yeah, um, okay to use that word yeah traditional views that yeah. that way that that may lead them to believe things like that i hope that they're also listening and that that we are able to embrace their learning process too and encourage them to learn well and that is what seems so rare these days like people don't really want to learn from people that don't agree with them at least of it course. seems that way on the internet and it's hard because it is frustrating when and even and I think this particular time, although so many times have echoed this, I suppose, is so polarizing. Mm-hmm. We're so polarized and and it does. And we're learning, I think, that sometimes people we love share these views that we find yeah. repugnant, you know. Yeah. And so how how do you move through that? I don't know. I don't I don't have the answer, but we've got to listen we find a way. more. Yeah. We, yeah. we we just have to we just have to listen better. Totally. We're doing a lot of talking and and not enough listening. Rachel Brosnahan up for an Emmy for outstanding lead actress in a comedy series for her starring role in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Listeners, have a great Labor Day weekend. Barbecue something, jump in a pool, watch a bad movie. We're going to be back in your feed on Tuesday. We're talking politics with two star reporters, Katie Rogers, who is a White House correspondent for The New York Times, and Jeff Bennett, who has the same title over at NBC News. I asked them both a very simple question. What's it like to cover the White House right now? Y'all, they told me everything. You don't want to miss it. Behind the scenes of the White House press corps, Tuesday. Till then, thanks for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.
This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams, designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. AI may be the most important new computer technology ever, but AI needs a lot of processing speed, and that gets expensive fast. Upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. OCI is the single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. Do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic. Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash NPR. This message comes from The Run-Through with Vogue. Listen as designers, Vogue editors, and industry icons like Erica Badu and Florence Pugh have in-depth conversations about fashion and culture. New episodes are released each Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.